In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you, Father Van Doren, for your gracious invitation to preach and be among you today. I've been a part of the 8 o'clock and the uh, 9 o'clock, and now I'm with you. So thank you for having me. Um, my husband and I are in Chicago this weekend for uh, the 95th birthday of his grandmother. And so it has been a joyous weekend. Uh, but then um, wise and holy nonogenarians are nothing new to you. You are used to them. Bishop Montgomery, it is good to see you. Last Saturday, I was at another birthday party, and this one was at a bar where someone had rented out the bottom floor. And so it was a drop-in, and there were all kinds of people coming and going during the afternoon. And there were children everywhere. And one little girl was scrambling all around the place and was falling down and getting back up and falling down and getting back up. It turned out later, I learned she was 18 months old, and she, she was at that point of almost having more flesh than bone, and so she was her own natural cushion, and she was fearless. She approached us at one point, and in front of us was a bar stool, and you could look at her in the eye and see what she was thinking. She had planned to climb that stool. But then the more she looked at it, it was kind of tall, and so she, she stood there for a moment and froze and then she did her arms, just like this, raising them high into the air and looking around to see who saw her. Well, we knew what she meant, and her father knew exactly what she needed, and so her father came over, picked her up, placed her on the top of the stool, and she was a happy girl. She was happy because she needed something. She asked for it, and she got it. As I watched her, that 18-month-old who asked for something. I began to wonder, at what age do we lose that? When is it that we learn somehow that we should not ask for help? It's as though we're taught in a subtle and quiet way, usually without words, but we pick it up, sure enough, that we should be big enough now to do it ourselves. And so many of us carry that with us the rest of our lives. We do it ourselves. We've got this, thank you very much. No help needed. One of the reasons I love today's gospel passage is because it introduces us to someone who asks for help. But in order for him to ask for help, he has to go through a lot of internal and external conversation. There's a lot of resistance there, surely. We're told that Jairus is a leader in the synagogue. And just that sentence alone tells us a world of information. Jairus was a leader. He was well-known and probably successful in whatever he did. He would have been like those people we look up to, that sort of person who you want running stewardship or running the bazaar, because you know they're going to get it done. They know how to appoint the right people. They know how to run a committee meeting. Um, they get things done, and often, as we know, to get things done, that means one has to do it oneself if one wants it done right. Jairus was that sort of person. 
But then something happens that changes all of that. It turns it upside down. Jairus' little girl is sick. They're whispering that she's so sick she might die. And so suddenly Jairus is in a whole new place. He's in a place where he's out of resources and out of ideas. There are no more options for him. He can't control things. He can't manage them. He can't direct them. He can't fix it. He can't persuade. All he can do is ask for help. And so he asks Jesus for help. He asks God for help. And in that asking, help comes, but also comes healing. This story of Jairus has a happy ending. But it's exactly the sort of story from the Bible I often worry about us reading in church and then just letting it sit there. It's the kind of story that television preachers will pick up and run with and suggest that if we simply have enough faith, then healing comes. It's as easy as that. One leads to the other always and forever. If a young parent with a sick child came to visit me in my office, I don't think I would read them the story of Jairus because I would worry that it might lead them down the wrong road. It might give false hope. We all know that the world doesn't work that easily as we see and hear on television and elsewhere. Sometimes healing brings a cure. Sometimes healing brings a miracle and everything is new and better than it ever was before. But now perhaps is a good time for us to think about what healing really is. If you recall, healing has to do with God's bringing things into wholeness, with God's making shalom, this deep, whole peace that makes everything all right. Sometimes healing involves a cure. But not always. Sometimes healing involves death. There's a whole spectrum for healing. At one end is healing into death, which, of course, for Christians means healing into new life again. But all along the way, there are little and large healings. Some are miraculous. Some we can't see coming. Some we pray like mad for. And then others happen because we have followed the doctor's advice. We have done the next smart thing. We've asked for help. A woman in my parish recently was diagnosed with a tear somehow in the back of her eye. It was a scary situation for a 75-year-old woman, and it meant that she might go blind in that eye. She listened to her doctors, she got advice, and she went for a procedure that inserted a tiny little air bubble in there somehow. And the bubble found its way to the tear, covered the hole, vision was restored. That's an absolute miracle. But it was a miracle made, yes, through prayer, but also through going to the doctor and following proper medical procedures. And so healing happens through prayer, yes. Through medicine, yes, but healing in today's gospel also happens through this very mundane, quotidian way of asking for help. Asking for help involves risk. 
We thought about that a tad when we were thinking of Jairus earlier, but we can think more deeply as we imagine Jairus risking all sorts of things to ask for help. He would have risked his reputation among the other leaders. He would have risked the ridicule of his family and all those who looked up to him. He would have risked his own sense of self-reliance. And yet Jairus asks for help and he receives healing. He receives healing for his daughter. That's the obvious part. But there's more if we look around the edges in the gospel story because healing expands outward. It's like throwing a pebble in a stream or in a, in a still pond and the ripples just keep spreading outward. Jairus himself is healed in a new way. His friends and family find healing. All those who hear of the event are healed in some way. Even us today, so long away from this original story, can find healing in its promise and its hope. When I think of this kind of outward expanding power of healing, I think especially of a parishioner named Mary Beth. When I first arrived at All Souls, she had recently received a diagnosis of cancer. When she received that diagnosis, she could make a decision. She could keep it to herself and never tell anyone and be strong and suffer quietly. Or she could begin asking for help. That's what she did. She asked for help from medical professionals. She asked for help from friends. As she continued to navigate that disease for the next five or six years, others were brought into her circle. Mary Beth was a middle-aged woman who had never married. The only family she had were distant cousins. And so she created a new family around her by asking people to to take her to the doctor, to to drive her to chemotherapy, to, to do this or do that. And so the healing began then. She had good days and better days. But we began to see healing in the community of people around her as people who might have been a little quiet and around the edge of the church community suddenly had something to do. And it empowered them to live out their faith in a whole new way. Mary Beth had beloved animals and eventually she got to the place where she could no longer care for them herself. She asked for help. And she found two families that took her dog and one her bird. And these families then were blessed and enriched by having these loved animals. The healing continued. Friends responded to the situation. The church rose to the occasion. Oh, and then there's her priest, me. With me, Mary Beth blessed me with conversations that most of us only dream about in seminary. Those sorts of conversations we hope people will ask us about, but they rarely do. I would visit Mary Beth and I knew I had to be on my game because I didn't know what she might ask. One day she asked what I thought heaven was like. And when I said something, she said, no, really, what do you think? Another time she told me she was worried about dying and going to heaven because she was still angry at her father who had died years earlier. And what would she say to him if she saw him in heaven? On and on our conversations went. They deepened me. They brought me a kind of healing. And they continue to guide me as I work and live and move along parishioners. Healing is like that. It comes from a place of asking, a place of humility. But then it expands outward and it creates a community of generosity That's what we hear about in the first two scripture readings today. 
That first reading from Deuteronomy encourages more and more generosity. Is anyone among you in need, it asks? Well, help them. Don't put it off. Don't make excuses. Just offer help. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work that you undertake. That's just the natural economics of helping. Humility allows for the asking, but then the giving creates even more generosity and blessing. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he sort of shames the Christians in Corinth by comparing them to the Macedonians. He says, look at the Macedonians. They're poor as church mice, but look how they insist on being a part of every campaign that comes along. They're always giving and making and cooking and serving and showing up. The Christians in Macedonia had created a whole culture of generosity. Even though they didn't have much to share, they shared what they had. As anyone who's ever lived or served among the poor knows, it's often the poorest of the poor who are the most generous. I think that's because they're used to asking for help and they haven't forgotten what that's like. And so they live more often in that place of true humility. So generosity is just that much more obvious for them. Miracles can begin when we ask for help. That's something I hope our general convention is keeping in mind as they meet this week in Utah. They've elected a new presiding bishop. Bishop Michael Curry from North Carolina will pray for him as he prepares for his uh, installation in, um, in November. But the convention, like all conventions, is looking at some important issues that confront the church. One has to do with the tragedy earlier this year when Bishop Heather Cook in Maryland, drunk at the wheel of her car, hit a bicyclist and killed him and then left the scene. Of course, the church has jumped into high gear trying to fix this problem. How could this happen, people ask? And so new rules, new guidelines, new processes will probably flow out of this general convention as they hear the recommendations of a special task force, as delegates pray and think and work together about this important issue. But I hope they'll also listen to other people People among us, in our churches, in our social halls and basements, in our, in our pews and in our pulpits, people who are walking miracles of sobriety and serenity because they asked for help. The power to deal with addiction comes first by admitting powerlessness. And there are groups of people in recovery that are places of generosity. They're eager and ready to help others. Often these communities have known what it is to lose everything. They've been broken and defeated, but now they know what it is to rise again as a community of generosity. It begins in humility by asking for help, but then before you know it, people are around offering that help, creating a whole culture of generous and good. There's celebration in the air this weekend and next This weekend, many of us are celebrating marriage equality. Many are celebrating LGBT pride in Chicago and New York and elsewhere. And the next weekend, it's Independence Day. It's only natural that we celebrate and give thanks to God for those places in our lives that are strong and powerful. That's natural and good that we thank God. 
but also I pray that mindful of Jairus, we also might lift up to God those weak places within each of us, those places of weakness in our own lives and in our communities, those places that need healing, healing around race, healing around violence, around families, around how we live together, how we encourage the young, how we age together. On and on our list could go, those places where we need God's healing spirit to make us new. May the spirit enable us always to ask for help to reveal our deficiencies and our inability to fix everything and control everything. And may we encourage communities of generosity so that we might be a part of God's healing and resurrecting love. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.